Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. The Sojourner Podcast is brought to you by the Alumni Association of Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today, we're joined in the Sojourner podcast by 1978 Johnson University, Tennessee, or Johnson Bible College graduate, Dave Heilman. Dave, welcome to the Sojourner podcast. Thanks, Tyson. To get started, Dave, for those folks in our audience who don't know who Dave Heilman is, would you mind giving a general introduction of yourself? Sure. Originally, I'm from Pittsburgh area. I grew up there, uh, moved to Virginia with J.C. Penney Company in 1971, right after I got married. Worked there in Martinsville, Virginia, until I left for Johnson in 75. Cindy and I have been married 50 years this year. We have two sons. One lives in Williamsburg, which was our home before we moved here to Raleigh. And our older son lives here in Raleigh, along with three grandchildren and his wife. So we're close to them now, and that's really fun. I've been a minister at three churches and uh, the executive director of the Virginia Evangelizing Fellowship, as well as a lot of other jobs in that organization. And I retired a couple weeks ago. So, Dave, you said you were from Pittsburgh originally. Yes, I lived there until I was uh, until I was married in seventy one. So, so are you a, like a Steelers fan, a Pirates fan, that kind of thing? Do you get into anything like that? Um, yes, I, I would guess so. Uh, Steelers, it's that's a requirement. You're not allowed to get a uh, social security number or anything in Pittsburgh until you sign on the <laughs> dotted line for that. Um, I certainly enjoyed baseball growing up uh, more than football. And then I kind of started watching football a little bit more, but yeah, I, I pay attention to the, to those two teams. So, you know, you've been away from there since 71 and your journey has taken you to obviously Knoxville and clearly to North Carolina and Virginia. Did you ever develop affinities for any of the other teams or colleges or anything like that? We lived near uh, the near Charlottesville for nine years, and uh, I got a chance to uh, get to know the assistant athletic director there and uh, got to meet uh, Ralph Sampson in his era. Yeah, kind of a UVA fan a little bit, but that's about all. Not not heavily into this uh, sporting world. I, I enjoy it a little bit, though. Uh, in Pittsburgh, the only thing I can say that I really know about Pittsburgh is Pramani Brothers. Well, there are other better restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't dump french fries on your sandwich. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Tell me about your childhood. Were, were you raised in a Christian home? When did you discover Christ? All of that kind of thing. I can say growing up, I didn't go to church at all. Our family didn't attend church. My father passed away when I was 12, and uh, my mother kind of went back to church for a while that age for me. So 12, 12 and a half, 13, we went occasionally to church. Uh, I went occasionally. She went more than I did. I didn't really find it too rewarding or credible at that point in my life. Hmm. 
I, I worked pretty regularly from about 13 at different jobs. I sold donuts door to door. I, I worked in a hobby shop. I sold car wax. I sold, uh, I sold all kinds of things. So I was more interested in earning money to buy a car and things like that than about anything else. And I was managing a hobby shop, a racetrack. We had three, three of those big slot car tracks. And I had a lot of fellows who raced these things in the winter and kind of got to know them. And one of them kind of faded out of the group for three or five months. He came in one day, we're getting ready to close 11, 11, 15. And I asked him where he'd been. His name was Smiley, by the way. He said, well, I'm trying to get, uh, get my life in order. And so I became a Christian. I said, what'd you do that for? <laughs> and he, we talked a little bit and he didn't have a lot of answers to, to things I was posing to him. So he dragged me down to the minister's house at 10 minutes or a quarter after 12 at night. He said, he'll be up. And he was. And we talked a couple hours and I went back several times over a course of about three years. I would go down there frequently after work and we'd talk till two or three in the morning. And hmm. he was a Johnson graduate, George Vartanesian. His uh, father-in-law was uh, Holland. He was a professor at Johnson for a while. Jay Spencer Holland. He was, uh, he was an English professor there, I believe. At any rate, Johnson was the only school I knew of. So I, I moved from Pittsburgh to uh, uh, Martinsville, Virginia to work at Penny's again. And I became general merchandising manager. But I decided I was really want, wanting to know more about, uh, more, more about God, more about Jesus. And uh, uh, the only school I knew anything about was Johnson from George, George Vartanesian, and from uh, his father-in-law, who was about five miles from where we lived in Martinsville, you know, God just pulls all these things together. And then there's Don Forrester, who is another Johnson graduate. And I was going to his Thursday night Bible study. And so I decided to go to school. Johnson was not a choice out of many. It was the only one I knew. <laughs> so we moved to Johnson in 75. So Spencer Holland was the former faculty. Yep. And also a graduate himself in 1934. Yes. Right. And he had been the minister at Horse Pasture Christian Church. He had retired when I went to Martinsville, but uh, I'd walk. I had one morning a week that I didn't go in till one o'clock in the afternoon. Often I would go down to the Holland Farm. He and I would walk around looking at cows. I don't know what I was looking at, but he was interested in them. But I was interested in what he had to say. He would he would quote Shakespeare and Scripture, and he was just a fascinating man. And learned a lot from him. Him and Don Forrester both were instrumental and encouraging and, and teaching and uh, modeling good things. So I know Don Forster was in, yeah, the Martinsville was, area, rural hall well, he was area. Eden, was he at Horse Pasture? No, he was at Eden, North Carolina. Eden, okay. At uh, Kings Highway Christian Church at that point. Oh, okay. I didn't know that Don had ever <laughs> been at Kings Highway, so it goes to show you what I know. <laughs> there, yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad to, you know, kind of get you up to speed here, Dice. <laughs> <laughs> You said that you were going to college and you were working at the hobby store when your friend kind of wandered away and came back. So yeah. where were you going to college? What were you studying? What was your career intent at that time? Well, um, I had been asked to leave a couple of schools. Apparently, you have to show up for class and work. So <laughs> I wasn't doing very well. And uh, uh, I was interested in figuring out how to uh, make money. That's, that's what I was interested in. 
going to a business college in in downtown Pittsburgh at that point. Mm. After the school day, I worked for a printer in downtown Pittsburgh from 2 to 4.30, delivering the things he printed during the day, and then drove back up 25 miles to where the hobby shop was and worked there until midnight, and then you know, did it the next day over again. And then the, for three months, I also worked for H&R Block at night from about midnight to 2.30, going to their offices and picking up documents and bringing them back to their main place to copy. Hmm. So it was a busy time. Yeah, right. But at the time, your dominant focus was on what career you're going to get into that's going to make you the money. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Some kind of business. I'd like, I always figured I'd start some sort of business. So what was it that really started opening your door to considering faith seriously yourself? What George and his family modeled was a key factor in that. And my fiance at the time, was a fabulous influence person of faith. She was raised by her aunt. Her aunt was a remarkable woman who was really grounded in, in faith, and she was just a inspirational lady. There are a lot of hints on the horizon that things weren't just what I thought they were. Mm-hmm. But it, it took uh, a lot of reading on my own to get to a point where I wanted to learn more. So this is Cindy's aunt? Yes, her Aunt B. She was just a seriously remarkable, remarkable lady. <laughs> Did you sense any pressure from Cindy? No, no, nobody really ever did that. Now, you said you had to do a lot of reading yourself. What were you consulting? When I moved from Pittsburgh and left George Vartanesian in our conversations, I really didn't have anyone for a while. And so I'd just go to the Christian bookstore and buy books. I read Stott and J.I. Packer, and then I, I read Francis Schaeffer. I didn't I had to read it with a dictionary, but I read it. <laughs> uh, I, I read uh, I read everything I could get my hands on. To be honest with you, four, five, six books a, a week. Anyway, what was the turning point for you where you said, "Yes, I believe this thing," and you decided to embrace it? It was just gradual. It was it was a, a movement that just sort of it it, it just processed in in me until one day I realized I believed more than I didn't believe. Hmm. I never did end up liking church. I will tell you that much. Culturally, I was like on the other end of the world. So that was hard. It was really tough for me to do that. It just gradually emerged that this reality was was the reality that spoke to me in my heart and my mind. And uh, I got lots of affirmation from other people, from from Cindy and my family, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it just, no, no, no light switch went on. It was more of a, you know, a rheostat. Mm. How did your mom respond when she learned that you had? Well, she was part of a much more organized church, a lot more formality and a lot more liturgy. And I don't think she ever really thought that this was a genuine church mm. <laughs> in her world. You had to have a college degree and then a seminary to be able to do this. And, I said, no, nah, you just go to college here. You know, mm-hmm. It was a little bit hard for her to wrap her mind around it. So was Cindy raised in a restoration movement church? Is that how you got no. connected? No, she was in uh, her father, who, as I mentioned, passed away when she was young, uh, had been first a lay and then a, a licensed Methodist preacher. And uh, we have a few handful of his sermons, quite good, actually. So that, that was her background. She grew up in Methodist church. 
So how did you then find your way to the restoration movement tradition? Well, through, through George and through Holland and through uh, Don Forrester. Uh-huh. And obviously pointing to Johnson. I mean, that's... <laughs> they were all Johnson people. I didn't know there was another school beyond... Uh, that's no joke. I mean, I had no clue. <laughs> In fact, I drove one, one Sunday morning or I said, well, let's go see Johnson. Now, I lived in Martinsville and an old 71 Volkswagen, and we trucked across Route 58 until we ended up in Johnson City, which, of course, is where Johnson should have been, right? <laughs> so I couldn't find it and had to drive back home. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. It's funny how many people associate that name Johnson with the town and not the Yeah, founder. I had no, well, like I said, I had no reference point right. at all, so later that year uh, we did visit johnson and uh, that was the only time i'd been here before i came i can't help but wonder how many students johnson university has lost to milligan college because of that very thing <laughs> yeah, it's probably a handful of us still wandering around in johnson city mountains <laughs> That's right. so you uh, you came to the school once on the tennessee campus before you ultimately came as a student was That's there anything correct. about that particular experience that kind of solidified this as the place you wanted to go? Or did you already know when you were just kind of I already knew that. I mean, again, I didn't know of another school. And I respected the three people that had graduated from there enormously. And I thought that's that's the right place to go. The trip was more to ascertain that we had a trailer. We lived. Could we move the trailer on campus? Could, you know, could I get a job in the area? You know, those kinds of questions. And I so, took correspondence for a year. I think I did three classes or two classes under Dr. Black before I actually came. It was kind of, uh, well, you, you've been in three colleges and haven't even got a credit anywhere. You ought to demonstrate that you know how to go to, to work on this stuff. So I did a couple Old Testament classes online before I came. You're a graduate of 78, so you came in 75? I did. I did, I did the school in three years. After the first year, I was on probation the first semester. And then uh, I thought, well, I, I need to make those classes up. And back then, they didn't charge you more for anything over 18 hours. So I took 22 hours or 23 hours a semester and uh, figured out, hey, I take a couple summer classes, I can be done. <laughs> so you were married when you came? Yes. I've been married for four and a half years. Okay. So did you live in a married student residence or did you live in your own? We brought our own trailer from, from Virginia. Okay. Was it parked on Sunset? Uh, no, Orchard. Okay, Old Orchard. About two-thirds of the way up on the right. <laughs> uh, that was before they built the uh, duplexes then, I'm assuming. I would guess so, yes. <laughs> well before that. <laughs> Good. So you said you took correspondence courses uh, yes. with Dr. Black. Were they all three with Dr. Black? I think there were just two as I as I reflect on it. Now, yes, they were both Old Testament courses that he taught. So how was that, you know, contrasting your correspondence courses before you came to campus as opposed to your courses on campus, you know, back in the 70s? They didn't compare uh, real favorably. The correspondence was uh, a series of questions, you know, in, in lesson form. And you would rewrite the question and then answer the question and, you know, writing in longhand. And uh, uh, I will say that Dr. Black's questions were, you know, very in-depth. 
So when you finished the first chapter of Genesis, for example, you, you'd written 15 or 18 pages of material. I, I had a big, thick three ring binder for just the one class, you know, completely filled with everything. And uh, so it, it was, it was a good experience for me because a, I proved to myself that I could go through a college class and I really enjoyed the studying part. That was fun. So in your time on campus, what faculty members do you remember? What courses do you remember? What lessons do you remember? What are some of those things that jump out at you academically? Well, I ended up with uh, Dr. Black for some Old Testament work, which was uh, rewarding. He was an interesting professor. I had the life of Christ with the famous Dr. Clark. That was challenging and, and fun. I had uh, missions with Robeson. He was in Portugal. I believe, oh, Robeson. Dick Robeson. Robeson. I took Greek with uh, Dr. Richardson, who I understand just passed away. Mm-hmm. I was near the end of my time. Bob Martin was on campus then, and I got to take Romans class with Bob. I took uh, English with Wheeler. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Ron Wheeler. And uh, who was the speech professor was uh, from California? Stan McDaniel. Oh, Stan McDaniel. Yeah. I remember because he told me about his house on the top of the cliff overlooking the ocean. And I thought, why'd you move here? (laughs) (laughs) No, he was a a, a professor. I I don't remember too many others. I recall the uh, uh, two things that strike out to me as being kind of amusing. At least they were to me at the time. Uh, Dr. Black was teaching Old Testament prophets, I believe. And we were in that, this was the first year, or maybe it could have been the second year at that point, that the Phillips Welshmer building was there. And that big, big circular room upstairs, mm-hmm. I think it was 101, uh, had no outside. <laughs> I think outside it's 213 window. now. Yeah. Okay. Had no outside windows. Mm-hmm. And we were in class and the power went out and it's absolutely pitch black in there. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And he never stops lecturing, which was amusing enough, but he would turn the page. He would talk for two or three minutes and you'd hear him flip the page over. He never stopped, never acknowledged that it was black. He just kept right on going. I found that to be extremely interesting. You said two things. What was the other one? Cindy and I went to church at Forest Avenue which was on 17th Street in downtown Knoxville. Bob Martin had just arrived as the new minister. And I didn't know anything about where we were going to go to church, but I knew part of the requirement of going to Johnson was to go to church. And I told Cindy, I said, I hope we could go somewhere off campus because I think it would be more more interesting. And I was in the uh, chapel thing, and there were a couple of guys in front of me talking about this new minister showing up from Kansas to try and in their words, salvage 17th Street, Forest Avenue Church. And uh, they talked about it for a little bit. And I said, Cindy, let's uh, let's try that. So we went in there on our first Sunday was at that church. And we pulled into the parking lot and they had old stained glass windows that were cranked open. And I said, this is how, you know, deeply spiritual uh, person I was. I said, this better be good because they don't have air conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was, Bob was a really extraordinary teacher. Mm. 
and there were 12 or 15, 20 more elderly people there. And there were three couples and a single fellow who had come from Kansas to help Bob reach the university campus. And uh, Bob and Mary Lou invited us to lunch afterwards. And, you know, we just, that group became our friends while we were there. But the, the amusing part was that the second Sunday, it turns out Dr. Clark was also a member of that church. And after the service was over, he was standing in this little anteroom in the back corner and he pointed at me halfway across the room and kind of, you know, motioned with his finger. And he says, his, you know, he had more than a commanding voice. And he said, Mr. Heilman, come here. And uh, I said, Cindy, I probably got to go fold chairs or something. <laughs> he brings me back this little hallway to a room and he flips open a, a ledger book. And he says, now you pay this bill on the 15th. You pay this bill on the 21st. You have to make your deposit. I said, Dr. Clark, what are you talking about? I said, you're the new treasurer of Forest Avenue. And then he just went right back to flipping over books. And I walk out with all the ledgers and stuff. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was different. <laughs> well, I guess he got you latched into the church real quickly there. He didn't did. have much of a chance to get away. I had, I had no shot. <laughs> <laughs> so what did Cindy think when you came out of that little uh, office with an armful of books? I honestly don't know, but I suspect she thought that she had to get a lot of work coming her way. We didn't know what it was going to be. A lot of it was I, I would drive Dr. Clark into the board meetings at night. I don't think he liked to drive at night anymore. Mm. But that wasn't the stated reason. <laughs> but it sure was convenient, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. This was obviously early in your time at Johnson. Yeah, week two. Week two. So where was your faith journey at that point? Were you were you pretty well grounded in knowing and growing at this point? I was growing and, and I think uh I had a, a enormous amount to learn. I didn't have the background of church and Sunday school and all that for years. And so I didn't have, and I knew no one. I mean, they, the first night, Monday night in chapel, we had to sit in the balcony because we were married and you had to have a sport coat on. So I'm sitting in the balcony with a sport coat, listening to people because I didn't know anyone. And they're talking about Alexander Campbell. And I said to them, I should have just kept quiet. <laughs> what does he teach here? And it was like, why are you here? You don't know anything. <laughs> so I didn't. So I had a lot to learn culturally as well as scripturally and, uh, and certainly a lot to learn about meaning and depth. But I worked at Penny's Monday, Tuesday and Thursday nights and Saturday. Huh. So I didn't go to chapel after that first Monday at night my whole time there. But I had to listen to cassette tapes. Conveniently, Maryville was 30 minutes each way so I, I could knock off an hour chapel and on my journey. <laughs> well, I say that though, is in terms of learning, I missed the chapels and the experience and I'm sure some good things, but I, they didn't care what you listened to. So I listened to lots and lots of lecture tapes hmm. that were really helpful and I, I was learning a lot. Interesting. So you had a unique experience from our you know, more traditional undergraduates on campus. You weren't living in the dorms. You were a married student living in married student housing. What was your social life like through your three <laughs> years here at Johnson? 
uh, it was fairly minimal on the campus. Uh, as I mentioned, we were we were going to church off campus. Cindy uh, worked. She had a degree in foods and nutrition from Hood College in Frederick, Maryland. And so uh, Mrs. Morgan was quite happy to have her working. I think first she did dinner and then she did breakfast for two years. So she worked that and she knew probably more students than I did. I knew a handful. And, and also I changed classes going from, you know, a four-year program in three years. I went from one class to the other partway through. So I was, my social experience was fairly limited. Mm-hmm. And, and our friends were really those, that core group of people from Forest Avenue that we met right away. Probably two of them, well, certainly became very, very close friends of ours. And uh, we spent a lot of time with them. Uh, we would go to the mountains whenever we could get an opportunity to get away for uh, half a day or something. Uh, and then my last year in the fall, we had a baby, which kind of isolates you a little bit more. I didn't have a lot of interaction except, you know, in between classes. And uh, I didn't eat in the cafeteria, anything like that. I had coffee occasionally. That's about it. Hmm. So Cindy was not a student then. She just she, she, she no. She already graduated, and she almost went to uh, the University of Tennessee for their dietetics program. But then our son came along, and that changed that. Uh, gotcha. What about spiritually? How did you see yourself growing spiritually over the three years at Johnson? Well, I had the two chapels that were that met during the day, Wednesday and Friday, and. I had two whole years of Bob Martin at uh, Forest Avenue, and I'm not kidding. He was he was an extraordinary teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to a small group in town as well once a week, so it was pretty rich. And the experience, at, the academics at Johnson were really strong, in my opinion. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed studying and, and reading and doing all that. But the, the, they were coupled with people who you admired. So uh, I don't feel like I ever had the uh, the depth of spiritual experience that some people had. I didn't feel like that was that's partly my personality. You know, I'm I'm not a deeply emotional uh, kind of person in many respects, and so you know my my feelings are a little more surface. But it certainly deepened my appreciation of scripture of of, of everything uh, related to the journey of faith that you're on. It was you know, the people you meet, the sacrifices that they have made and their example is, it was always a rich experience for me. Mm. So what were you studying as a student? <laughs> I was studying Christian ministry. And the, the odd thing was I, I really didn't like the experience of going to church. Mm-hmm. You know, the music never really was something important to me. I, you know, I just always, that was not a strength for me. So my plan, which turned out not to be uh, God's plan at all, my plan was to, when I graduated, and several professors encouraged me to just go on and get a master's and a, you know, perhaps even a PhD. So the University of New Mexico had a program through, I don't remember the number, seven or 10 Bible chairs, one of which was a Christian church offering, where you would attend classes from these various denominational houses and you would get your master's, uh, you would get an MA leading right into a PhD study and get your degrees from the University of New Mexico. Hmm. And I was pretty enamored with that. 
and a friend of mine who was one of those original Knoxville Forest Avenue guys named Mike Wells. He had graduated from K-State and came with Bob, and then he got another degree at Johnson. It wasn't his first intention, but that's what he did. So he and I decided that's where we're going to both go out there. We drove out after graduation to Portales, New Mexico, or near Clovis. And uh, I think we were there four days, but in four days, there was absolutely not a single place to rent. I mean, there was no student housing. There, we weren't even being picky. We couldn't find anything to live. And after four days, we were staying in Clovis, which was about 35 miles. And of course, in between towns in the high desert, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, in between those two towns, there's a little tiny park. It, it, was, a, it was a tiny oasis a little lake and it was full of ducks and I was sitting there at dusk having spent another fruitless day looking for a place on my way back to Clovis for the night and just sitting there by that water and uh, I remembered a line from my English studies at Johnson it was from uh, one of the church fathers and he wrote basically do not go out into the desert alone at night for there you will encounter God and that really I mean I'm hearing that thing you know I'm like what does that mean? And basically, it struck me that you can't teach people about God if you can't even like the church. Mm. Because the church is really the imperfect vehicle in its, in its earthly form that brings people the opportunity for faith generally. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong. And so I drove back home and picking up my mail the day after I got back, I met Stan McDaniel at the post office thing, you know, crossing the green down there. The cafeteria wasn't there, so you could walk across the grass. And uh, we intersected. He said uh, something like, it's too bad you're going to New Mexico because I was at a little church Sunday, the kind of place I think you'd really do well. And I said, so where is it? <laughs> he said, Madisonville, Tennessee. And uh, I said, well, how do I check into it? So I ended up as the minister at Madisonville, Tennessee, much to their chagrin, I think, over a few years. My point was there was a man there, an elder named Kenneth Kirksey. And I learned from Kenneth how to love the church in spite of all the, am I allowed to say things like bad music and, you know, well, You're just being honest. I, you know. I mean, it, in spite of what I felt was a cultural anachronism i i learned what he saw in the, in the people and it was it was a really important time he was a great elder really was so that was madisonville christian church madisonville christian church okay yeah yeah and it was a great experience for me you know there's 40 people there and they were redoing the road in front of the place so you got you had to drive past the building on the bypass for about about a year and then you made like a U-turn. You came back towards the church, but you couldn't drive to the church. You had to stop short of the church, drive through that lumber yard, and come out the back of the lumber yard to the church parking lot. <laughs> well, if you've ever been down to Madisonville, even these days, you can understand how that church would be easy to miss. Yeah. But if you know it's there, it's easy to see. Right. Visible, but inaccessible. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So what was that journey then post-Johnson? Obviously, you did not go to New Mexico. You did go to Madisonville for a couple of years. What was after that? I was there 
from summer of 78 until uh, I, I think I was there almost three years, but not quite. And an opportunity to come back to Virginia emerged with a church that was small and had just split near Charlottesville. Remember George Vartanesian, first part of my story, his sister-in-law and brother-in-law were members of this church called Union Grove here in Barbersville. And since they knew me and knew that uh, I was interested at some point in returning to the general area, they had called and asked if I was interested in this church. And I and eventually became the minister at Union Grove Christian Church in Barbersville, Virginia, north of Charlotte. I was there nine years, I think. We went from about 30-ish, 40 people somewhere in that area to, to about 100. But the really cool thing was that they'd never had a full-time minister. So anything I did was kind of good. It was like, well, look. And so it was not hard to appear competent. And uh, <laughs> and I, it, it was a great experience because they gave me a lot of leeway. We didn't have Sunday night services or Wednesday night services. So I did home studies and I was part of a team that started the Charlottesville Pregnancy Center, uh, and that's still going really strong today uh, as part of, uh, I was able to study uh, at the University of Tennessee in the summer. They had an institute for advancement of Christian studies or some some odd name like that, but they had like John Stott was there, J.I. Packer was there, Francis Schaefer, uh, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, R.W. Scott was there. really good people. And that was great. And that's where I got connected with the Virginia Evangelizing Fellowship. I helped start the New Church Initiative in 1976-7. And it came about all that because the church was uh, really supportive of working in the community. I was part of the Ruutan Club and, you know, et cetera. I was the president of the PTO, you know, stuff like that. And they were all really supportive of that. So it it was a great time. How many years were you at Union Grove? Nine years. And you went from there to, to Williamsburg, Virginia. I was part-time with VEF as a stipend. You know, I worked uh, when I could helping. I was doing the planning and all the initial work for the church plants that we were doing at that juncture. So when I went to Williamsburg, they, they knew in advance that I was also doing this, and that was fine with them. But it was a lot busier church, a lot more things going on. So some of my extra activities I had to curtail, but not uh, not the VEF work. It kept growing and growing. So that was the senior minister there at Williamsburg for 12 years. But the last two was a transition time where I, I was working my way out of that job and working my way full time into what was then the VEF. That's a meandering journey, but always in ministry. Yeah. With with a passion for these other initiatives around ministry and connection with VEF. Now, uh, VEF for folks who don't know, Virginia Evangelizing Fellowship. Is that right? That's accurate. You're and, very good. Not many people get that right. <laughs> and then VEF transitioned to Waypoint Church Partners. So. You were a part of VEF at the time that that all took place. So how how did that go? What happened there? Well, VEF has a long history. They started in 1938, and their first full-time people were in the mid-70s. They had Ralph Carter, and they had uh, Mr. Miller, and then uh, Marion Harris in mid-80s. 
took over. And Marion is the man I met, and he and I did the program called Virginia Vision. In Marion's words to me, he said, we, we were talking about church, how to start a new church. And he said, well, you figure out how to do it. I'll figure out how to pay for it. And so we started Virginia Vision at that point. And uh, we've done, in some form or fashion, partnerships or whatever, since 1980. Our first church actually opened in 1990. We've done 46 or 48 projects. And it, it, was, it's, it was extremely rewarding, lots of, lots of fun. Uh, it was great to do that. I loved uh, the work. And as it kept getting more and more to do, I was being stretched a little bit because of that and then gradually was able to step out of the work at Williamsburg and do full-time there. At that point, within two years, Marion passed away. Hmm. Uh, kind of suddenly, and I became the executive director. I kept that role until we merged. But how the merger came about was uh, there's a gathering of church planting directors in Estes Park, Colorado each year. And as the executive director, uh, I was making sure that Tim Cole, who was our church planting director at that point, attended those, not me. And he kept saying, I should try, I should attend one. So finally, I decided to go. And Cindy and I were going to tie that into a vacation. So we were, we were driving to Estes and we were in Nebraska and Tim called and said, it's all canceled. <laughs> I said, what? He said, there's floods in Estes Park and, and you can't get in. And so we've had to cancel the conference. Well, I found that the Y had another place up on the other side of the mountains, a ski lodge that isn't normally open in the summer but they had six or 800 rooms and they were getting ready to open. So they said we could, we could stay there, but the conference was already, you know, pretty well canceled. But the, the two guys from North Carolina had bought their tickets on, uh, I don't know, one of those services, they couldn't get them, get their money back. So Dave Milam called me and said, did you get, find a place to stay? Cause we've never been to Colorado and we've got these non-refundable tickets. And I said, yeah, I got, I said, I think there's 10 or 12 of us in a place for 600. So I think you, there's plenty of room. So they flew out and we met and I said, our organization's paid for us to get here. We ought to at least spend a day talking about best practices and whatever. And out of that connection, I know we were two just adjacent states, but we had never really met. It emerged that they didn't have any staff or process or anything. And we were doing a lot of work at that point. We, we were the probably the only church planning organization that did lots of services to existing congregations. Mm. In fact, we did more work with existing congregations than we did ever with new churches. So we had a long relationship with, you know, 120, 140 churches. And there, they're just trying to get funding from them. So it, it emerged out of that, that if we could expand our ministry into North Carolina, they would be receptive to that idea and encourage it. That's what we did. So in 2015, we became the, uh, from the Virginia Evangelizing Fellowship and from uh, the uh, organization in North Carolina, which originally was the Piedmont Evangelizing Association, and it became Waypoint Church Partners. And at that point, I stepped out of executive director and Tim took over. And I moved to North Carolina as the associate director because we were going to start our retirement planning and our, our son and grandkids lived here. Mm -hmm. So that, and they wanted a staff person. That was their caveat. You know, 
we're happy to see all this happen, but we want a staff person in, uh, in North Carolina. So that was my role. Gotcha. Interesting. That's been uh, quite a journey then that you've been on, Dave, from, uh, from ministries to VEF to Waypoint and various roles you've held there with Waypoint. But now you've transitioned to retirement. What does that look like for you and Cindy? What are you planning in these next years of your life? Well, we're, we're planning uh, whatever doors open we're interested in. We, we certainly are open to a lot of ideas. But for the first year, I'm just off. <laughs> so our last three years, I've worked six months on, six months off. That was part of the transition. And that allowed us to travel. And we have a tiny travel trailer. And my goal is to photograph the 423 National Park units. So that's what we've been doing. And in late January, we'll head out to finish Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and pick up a few strays that we've missed in between here and there. We're at 305 of the 423. And I have a photo blog that I, I post every day. I've done seven years now. And on that blog is all the parks and all the photographs. And I rate restaurants, ice cream shops, and uh, <laughs> have a good time doing it. That sounds like fun. So what's that photo blog if people want to check it out? It's uh, uh, TWO, Two Lane Touring, www.twolanetouring.com. TwoLaneTouring.com. Yep. Take the back roads. Go the slow way. I <laughs> love it. Well, that's great. That's going to be neat to, you know, for folks who are interested in kind of checking out pictures of 305 of the 400 and whatever it is parks. Yeah. There's other things on there, too, because uh, it's not all parks. I just finished uh, three days in Chincoteague, Virginia, shooting uh, photographs of snow geese and some of that stuff coming in. And, you know, Christmas, I'll be doing that. Uh, so there's other photographs on there, but primarily that's what started it. I wanted to learn photography, and I figured one way to force yourself to do that is to go public. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to put your mm -hmm. stuff, you want to get better so that it's not hideous. And uh, so that's what I've been doing. Have you taken any courses for your photography, or are you just kind of learning by doing? Well, I've got, I've hooked up with a couple of uh, guys who are really good photographers and, and have relied heavily on their help. There's a lot of good YouTube things out there, but I took one workshop. It was in Great Smoky Mountains about three years ago for three or four days. That was the only workshop I've ever done. <laughs> Dave, this has been, this has been a lot of fun. It's been great to catch up with you, to learn about your journey and kind of the highlights of that journey. Uh, I still want to ask you a couple more questions though, before I let sure. you go, questions that I've been asking of all of our podcast guests. So the first question is, throughout the course of your journey, what is something that you've learned that you would really want to pass on to other people? Hmm. I don't know. It's in, in different realms. Okay. So if you're, if you're talking about what is a, a, a good piece of structural advice for somebody in ministry, I would say do the work. Uh, don't shy away from doing the work. Uh, show up. Be on time for things and, and do the work. We I have had seriously the privilege of working with a few hundred staff people in five or six states with lots of interaction. And they're generally a really committed group of, of men and women who, who love the Lord and want to see things work. But you have to do the work that goes along with that. You know, just the desire to do it and the, 
and the vision to do it doesn't always translate until you just slog through the stuff that isn't fun and you just keep keep working at it. Mm. Don't shy away from doing the work that has to be done to do it well. You can get by in ministry. You can coast fairly easy at places. I just think that's a very bad habit. Mm. So that's in ministry. What was the other angle that you were thinking of? I was just looking from a your personal relationship side and and in that vein, don't neglect opening the scripture yourself. Don't neglect, you know, your own health. Don't neglect missing out on the opportunities to serve people, no matter where what you're doing. I mean, they're they're all there and we can we can walk by all of those things pretty easily. And uh, if you do that too long, you'll find your your faith, in my opinion, starts to shrivel up a bit. It's not nearly as vibrant and as important to you if you're not serving people and studying and engaged in uh, things that God wants to bless other people with through you. Mm, good advice. Well, that's a good setup then for our last question. And I'm going to give you a moment to think about your answer while I do a commercial. But the last question for you today is this. Pretend, if you will, that for the next 60 seconds, everyone in the world is going to listen to th this podcast. What are you going to tell the world in 60 seconds? While you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojourner Podcast has been brought to you by the Alumni Association of Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Dave Heilman, a 1978 graduate of Johnson University, Tennessee, or Johnson Bible College, originally from Pittsburgh, and extensive ministry in a variety of churches, as well as with VEF and now Waypoint Church Partners, moving into retirement, www.tulanetouring.com, if you want to keep up with this photo blog. Dave, what one-minute message would you give to the world? That's a very challenging question. I... I would think that I would just uh, reiterate an aspect of Scripture that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and do it with integrity and diligence in every situation. Hmm. Convicting and challenging. That Scripture, especially for those who are of the faith, that's a Scripture that's good to be reminded of. But, but for even for those who are not, you know, that's a challenge. That's a call to something. Mm -hmm. uh, much deeper than ourselves. Good stuff. Well, Dave, thank you so much for giving me your time today. This has been great getting to know you, getting to hear your journey. I really appreciate you being my guest today on the Sojourner Podcast. Thanks. It's been fun, and uh, I will look forward to the uh, to the plethora of uh, uh, gifts that you said will be pouring this way uh, <laughs> when the Johnson truck unloads. In the <laughs> I'm going to the mailbox right now. <laughs> God bless you, Dave. Thank you. Have a great day. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Tyson Chastain. Music by Loyal Love. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Tune in to other Sojournal Podcasts, dropping each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.